Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. At Barah Ministries, we worship a triune Godhead. The truth is there's one God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author of of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that the earth, the universe, and creatures, both angels and human, were created by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Son, whom we call the Lord, volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 say this, In the beginning, not really a beginning, was the word. In Greek, that is the expression ho logos, a reference to the Lord, God the Son. And the word, the Lord, God the Son, was with God the Father. And the word, the Lord, God the Son, was God, a separate, distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal person who is the same in essence as God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is our mentor and teacher. Oh, I didn't do, I didn't put up uh, John 1, 3 to finish up that last thought. All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, the Creator. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. God the Holy Spirit is our mentor and teacher. And He is the rudder of the Christian life. In John chapter 16, verse 13, the Lord says, But when he, God the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you, believers in Christ, into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, God the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our human spirit that we are children of God. We are the born-again ones. To solve the problem of our separation from God caused by sin, God the Son took on human form to pay for the sins of all creatures and to reconcile us to the Godhead. John chapter 1 verse 14 describes what makes God the Son different. It says, And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, became flesh, taking on the form of a human being as Jesus the Christ, and He lived among us for 33 years. And we, and that's John, uh, the person who wrote the Gospel of John, 
referring to the apostles, saw his glory with our own eyes. Glory. The glory of the only begotten, uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, In Jesus the Christ, who is the Jewish Messiah, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, and he is the Savior of the world. As Christians, we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the study of the Word, the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 inform us, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation, and no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. But men, carried along by God the Holy Spirit, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible is not just a book. So what is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Who has come to know the mind of the Lord? And who will be competent enough to instruct the Lord? And the truth? No one. But we believers in Christ have the mind of Christ in the Word of God, the Bible. The Word of God is the mind of Christ. It's His exact thinking. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, Lord. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The Bible is the absolute truth. It has no inaccuracies and no contradictions. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We believers in Christ know that we are possessions of God the Father, and we also know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, Satan. One of the traps Satan sucks believers in Christ into are sins of the flesh, like sexual immorality. We call to mind the prodigal son, who was accused by his older brother of loose living. We all know those sins. Much worse are Satan's traps that involve the sins of the spirit. The sin of legalism is a great example. It's when people put themselves above others. The older brother in the prodigal son story in self-righteousness flaunts how good he is compared to his brother for not engaging in loose living. Yet his judging of his brother is a a much worse sin in God's eyes. The sin of pride a sin of spirit as opposed to lasciviousness, which is loose living. Satan readily sucks us in to these sins, and we act as if there's nothing wrong with it. Let's not be fooled as the Galatian believers were fooled. Instead, let's let God handle our enemy. Today's Bible lesson. Christians have to do to help God the Holy Spirit perfect them? What do Christians have to do 
to help God the Holy Spirit perfect them? Well, the answer is nothing. Undoubtedly, though, as Christians, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say this, The fruit of God the Holy Spirit is unconditional love, joy, and peace in yourselves, patience, kindness, and goodness toward others, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your relationship with God. Against such virtues, there is no law. Well, the flesh produces fruit as well. In today's lesson, as we look at the final passage of Galatians chapter 5, first we'll take a look at the dilemma of the Christian way of living. Well, let's hear some music. Most Christians have the false hope that one day they'll be independent. The truth is, Christianity is total dependence on God for everything. And Christians realize that they're not able to perfect themselves through their own works. It can be a bit depressing. Christians desperately wish they could do things that are pleasing to God, and they find they never can accomplish what they set out to do in their own power. Fortunately for Christians, God made them righteous at the moment of their salvation. Christians are perfect in God's eyes. So in all the moments when Christians realize their total dependence on God's power, in all the times Christians make mistakes, God reminds them in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. Let's remember that as we partake in today's lesson. Christians are in union with Christ. And in, as June Murphy sings in Christ, no more condemnation. While on the road less traveled, there are choices we must make. Temptation in 
Can I get an amen? amen? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Now, you know amen means I believe, right? Y'all don't believe that. How many times did you beat yourself up this week? <laughs> well, in Christ, there's no more condemnation, but in you, there's still a lot of condemnation. Amen? Well, cut it out. Let's pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for making your plan for mankind so practical and so simple and so usable and so easy to execute. As you knew before you created us all, there would be false teachers who would introduce destructive heresies with their false teaching to rob us of our freedom to enjoy the perfection of your plan for us. Thank you for the word of God which keeps us on the path of freedom and joy. Thank you for sending God the Holy Spirit as our mentor and teacher to keep leading us into all the truth. Father, help us to change our lives as we listen to the lesson today. As we are reminded to live our lives in your power and not in our own. Let the changes we make as a result of this lesson give us the freedom and joy and love you intended when you introduced your plan to us believers in your Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to follow God the Holy Spirit and to let Him do the work in our lives. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what do Christians have to do to help God the Holy Spirit perfect? What do Christians have to do to help God, the Holy Spirit, perfect them? Well, again, the answer is nothing. We can send you our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians. As we move into chapter 5, Paul is shifting from strict theological teaching to the practical in his instruction. He's instructed the Galatians in the first four chapters about what their malady was. And now he's saying, okay, now that you know you have that malady, what are you going to do about it? As you'll remember, the people in the churches Paul established in the Galatian region, which is modern-day Turkey, are believers in Christ. They are believers in Christ. They are saved. They have the salvation of the Lord. They heard the gospel message, and they believed it for salvation. They invested their faith in Christ alone to be saved, which is the only way to be saved. Now, there's only one requirement to be saved, and it's delineated in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ at a single moment in time, and you will be saved by God forever, once and for all time, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Simple. It's the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. As soon as the Galatian believers believed and were saved, false teachers who were emissaries of Satan, the ruler of this world, infiltrated the churches to disrupt their freedom. And that's what Satan does all the time. He uses people to disrupt our freedom. He uses people to steal our mental serenity. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Peter reminds us that these same things are happening to this day. It wasn't stuff that was only happening in the first century. 2 Peter 2.1 says this, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, which is false teaching, 
even denying the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who brought them to the earth as their creator, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. In the last lesson, we studied the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5. So stirring you up by way of reminder, here's the passage we studied. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ sets us free. Therefore, keep on standing firm in the freedom and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. The main message of Paul's letter to the Galatians is this verse. He encourages believers to keep on residing in freedom and not to be so foolish as to be bewitched and sucked into slavery again by false teachers who claim you are saved by grace And then after salvation, you have to return to works to really be saved. This heresy is pervasive in the church, even to this day. Last night, I was at a football game, and on the way out, one of the ladies at the game said, why are you leaving so soon? I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I need to get back home so I can finish the lesson so that I can teach tomorrow. And then she went right into her legalism. Well, you're a pastor, and you swear? You're a pastor and you come to football games on the night before you teach. You say, yeah, I'm a human. I'm normal. But this is, this is the, the, the junk that is injected into people from a very early age that you can't just relax in your relationship with Christ, that you have to do something and you have to get self-righteous and you have to, and you got to, and you got to, and it makes you want to die because it's so false and is so undoable. Galatians chapter 5 verse 2, Paul continues, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, and what he means here is as a condition of salvation, then what Christ did at the cross is of no benefit to you. If you can save yourself, why do you need Christ? Galatians chapter 5 verse 3, And I, Paul, testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Well, good luck with that because there are 613 different laws in the Mosaic law. Good luck remembering them, much less keeping them. Paul says to those who attempt to change Christianity into legalism in Galatians 5, 4, you have been severed from Christ. You're a believer in Christ. And instead of zooming in to what it means to be a believer in Christ, you who are seeking to be justified the law have fallen from grace. Show them that, Denny. <clears throat> you have fallen from grace. So what does it mean as you, you as a believer in Christ have fallen from grace? That you've abandoned the freedom that you were given at the moment of salvation. You are no longer under sovereignty to sin You're no longer unto unto the law as believers in Christ. You are under grace. And when you follow false teachers in their false teaching, you have fallen from grace. You give up on grace. You have a treadmill, but you won't get on it. Amen? (laughs) Don't be laughing at me. I I have a treadmill, and I walk on it every once in a while. Galatians 5.5. Yeah, it is dusty, though. But, you know, the cleaning ladies wash it up. For we believers in Christ, through God the Holy Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope, the absolute confidence of our imputed righteousness. And what is the absolute confidence of our imputed righteousness? Glory. 
salvation, sanctification, and in the future, glory. Because once we're placed in the union with Christ, everything he gets, we get. That's it. Galatians 5, 6. For in union with Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It has no value at all, especially in the matter of salvation. The Lord did mandate it for a different purpose, but not for salvation. But faith, working through unconditional love, means everything. And that means follow the Lord, don't think that circumcision is going to save you. Galatians 5, 7. You Galatian believers were running well. You believed the gospel. You were saved. You were on the track of sanctification. Who hindered you from obeying the word of truth? And it's always a who. There's always somebody who comes in and disturbs your joy, your freedom, your serenity. Galatians 5, 8. This persuasion of the Judaizers, and these were the false teachers, did not come from the Lord who calls you. Galatians 5, 9. But when they come in, what happens? They're like leaven. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. When you're baking and you put a little leaven in the dough, it spreads across all of the dough. And so when these false teachers get into your soul, it spreads across your whole mindset, your whole mentality, and changes Christianity into some perversion that the Lord never intended. Galatians chapter 5, verse 10. I, Paul, have confidence in those of you in union with the Lord that you will adopt no other view other than the true view of the word of God and the gospel message. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Galatians 5.11, But I, Paul, believers in Christ, if I still preach circumcision as I've been accused of by the Judaizers, why am I still persecuted by them? If I'm preaching what they're preaching, they should like me. But of course they don't. Well, then the stumbling blocks of the cross have been abolished. Galatians 5.12 I wish that the Judaizers who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. What he's saying is as they circumcise themselves, he wishes that they would emasculate themselves during the circumcision. (laughs) Oh, well, that can't be in the Bible because that's so violent. It's right in the Bible, right there, Galatians 5.12. Galatians 5.13 For you believers in Christ were called to freedom. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love, serve one another. Galatians 5.14 For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor unconditionally as you love yourself unconditionally. The Beatles got one thing right. All you need is love. Wah, 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 wah. Right? Can I get an Amen. Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another instead of loving one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. So that was the passage that we, uh, we learned in the last lesson. Now let's introduce today's passage of study. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. Galatians 5.16, I, Paul, say to you Galatian believers in Christ and to believe all believers in Christ, Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by means of the Spirit. Walk by the agency of the Spirit. And then what? And you will not 
Not no way, not no how. You remember what the, what the Wizard of Oz said? Not no way, not no how. That's the Greek word, ook, which is the strongest negative in the Greek language. You will not no way, not no how carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit sets its desire against the flesh. For these two are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, and all believers in Christ are, you are not under the law. Why? Because you can't keep it. Why did the law come in? The law came in so that you, the fact that you are a lawbreaker and a sinner would become obvious to you. And when that became obvious to you, then you would think that you might need a Savior. You might need someone to help you because you can't help yourself. Amen? How about that lie? God helps those who help themselves. Lie. God helps the helpless. Galatians 5.19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. We're going to study this next week. I call this the fruit of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are the fruit of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, Galatians 5.20, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Galatians 5.21, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Funny thing, we used to do a ministry at the Veterans Administration here in Phoenix, and about five guys got together one time, and they invited me over, and they said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? And I said, just certainly can. <laughs> and they said, hey, this 1 Corinthians 6, 9 has a whole list of sins, and one of them is homosexuality. So can a homosexual go to heaven? And I said, well, before I answer the question, take a look at the other sins, because you've just taken homosexuality out of that group of sins and isolated it. But let's look at the others, adultery, drunkenness, stealing. Have you done any of those things? Raise your hand if you haven't done any of those things. And of course, nobody raised their hand. I said, well, why, have, why are you se separating that out? Because if homosexuality means you won't go to heaven, then, of course, drunkenness means you won't go to heaven. Of course, stealing means you won't go to heaven. So you guys are screwed. So the next uh, month when we came back, uh, one of the ladies came up to me and said, you really shook those guys up with your assessment of 1 Corinthians 6-9. I said, how so? said, yeah, one of them said, well, he's a faggot. That's why... <laughs> That's why he didn't uh, he didn't want to want to say that homosexuals <laughs> can't get to heaven. Was that beautiful? It was so funny. So funny. Galatians five. <laughs> I'm still laughing about that. Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of God, the Holy Spirit, is not the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of God, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace in yourselves. It's patience, kindness, goodness toward others. 
and its faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your relationship with God. And against such virtues, there is no law. Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5.25. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walk by means of the Spirit. Galatians 5.26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, and envying, envying one another. What do we do instead? We love. Well, this final passage of Galatians chapter 5 divides neatly into four parts. And today... We'll study the first part, and in the coming weeks, we will uh, study the other parts. So the four parts are verses 16 to 18, verses 19 to 21, verses 22 and 23, and verses 24 to 26. So as we look at the verses in part one, verses 16 to 18, I want you to think about trains. I want you to think about trains. William would like this. We should have brought him to this lesson, didn't he? So let's hear the verses in part one again. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. I, Paul, say, walk by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Have a lifestyle guided by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And you believers in Christ will not know way, not know how, ook, carry out the desires, that is, the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit sets his desire against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. And this is why you believers in Christ may not do the things you please. Galatians 5.18, but if you believers in Christ are led by God the Holy Spirit, and of course you are, first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true, you are not no way, not know how, ook, under the Mosaic law. The Christian dilemma. Galatians 5.17 is the Christian dilemma. But a question for you. Where do you get your power from in the Christian way of living? Salvation is the Christian way of life. It's your entrance into the Christian way of life. And sanctification is your entrance in, into the Christian way of living. Don't struggle. There are only two choices. You get your power from yourself through human effort or you get your power from God the Holy Spirit. So back to the train analogy. Here's the way most believers in Christ run their Christian lives with their own power, which the Bible calls works. And here's what a railroad hand car looks like. You see that? Have you ever seen one of those on the tracks? And a person's on there and they're pumping up and down and pumping up and down. And, you know, you do that about... Two. You do that about 10 times and you're ready for a break. You're going to take some water. So here are people working a hand car to make it go. And it's better if you have a friend with you. Now, if you've never experienced this, I will tell you it is really hard work. That's what false teachers recommend. You are saved by grace with no works required on your part. And then once you're saved, you take over and become responsible for your sanctification through working hard. Or you begin to doubt your salvation because you did nothing to help it occur. You're encouraged by false teachers to work to impress God. You eat their propaganda up. 
you make a failing effort to be a good person and you create a phony lifestyle that you think is impressive to God. It is a trap that every single Christian falls into. Only some choose to live in this deception forever, never realizing the freedom and the joy of getting their power from God. Remember Paul's admonition to believers in in Galatia in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3? He said, Galatian believers and believers today, are you so foolish, having begun your salvation by the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, where God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ, a union you could never get out of, are you now being perfected during sanctification by the flesh? And of course, absolutely not. Ook, not no way, not no how. Again, where do you believers in Christ Get your power in the Christian way of living. You can do it yourself, as the false teachers suggest. Works. Propelling your Christian life as if you're on the railroad handcar. Or you can see yourself as the caboose of the train. Put that slide up, that railroad handcar again, Denny. Or you can see yourself as the caboose of the train, which looks like this. That's the last car in a train. And you can get your power from the locomotive, the engine of the train, which is God the Holy Spirit. Picture the caboose. It goes nowhere without the engine. The caboose never tries to propel itself. It simply waits to be hooked up to the engine of the train and it goes where the engine goes. The caboose is completely dependent on the engine for locomotion. That's the Christian way of living. You are dependent on God the Holy Spirit for locomotion. But you don't like that because you want to help. Well, God doesn't need our help. He didn't need our help to save us, and he certainly doesn't need our help to perfect us. Well, what are the problems in your life? You wish your family saw how wonderful you are? You wish your spouse would see you at at all the sacrifices that you make for your family? You wish your kids valued you. You wish your boss listened to you. You wish your boss would give you a raise. You wish your health was better. Whatever the issue, what is typical is we want to work out our problems in our own power. The result, we fail miserably again and again and again and again and again incessantly. We never resolve our problems. Can you fix cancer? In your own power, you can't. Well, if Christians simply realize that God wants to work all our problems out for us, that God considers the resolution of our problems to be his responsibility, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, that God seeks to work all things together for our good, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we would simply rest in his power. We'd be the caboose, and we'd let him be the engine. On a practical level, what does that look like? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I, Paul, say, walk by the power of God the Holy Spirit, and you believers in Christ will not, not no way, not know how, ook, carry out the lusts of the flesh. How do we accomplish that practically? We walk by means of the Spirit. We create a lifestyle of dependence on the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. When we have problems, we hand them over to Him. We get out of the way and we watch Him work. 
Now, unfortunately, he doesn't work on your time frame, amen? Because you want everything now. You want to rub the lamp and have the genie pop out. Have <laughs> the genie pop out and fix your problems right away. Well, that is not exactly how it works. God, the Holy Spirit, wants to work your problems out for you. Will you let, the, let him? How hard is it just to cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit? It's not hard at all. It's the simplicity and purity of faith. It's as hard as looking, hooking up your caboose to an engine. As Christians, we already have the victory in life. We are overcomers. So what's the strategy for victory? It's called sanctification. We are set apart for a set of privileges by God the Holy Spirit that would stagger the imagination if you held them in your head simultaneously. We keep in step with God the Holy Spirit, and we benefit as he succeeds at the job of conforming us to the image of God the Son. What did God the Holy Spirit do for Mary of Magdala, also known as Mary Magdalene? Well, nothing except he took seven demons out of her. She was a prostitute who had demons in her that could simulate any pleasure that you could even imagine and took it to a heightened level that would blow your mind. What did he do for Matthew? What did God the Holy Spirit do for Matthew or for Peter or for Paul? He turned a prostitute, Mary Magdalene, into a great woman of God. He turned Matthew, a thief, who was betraying his fellow Jews by working for the Romans into a spiritual benefactor. He turned Peter, a Benedict Arnold, which is the United States term for a traitor. He turned this traitor betrayer into the leader of the apostles. He turned Paul, the biggest murderer of all time, into the best believer in Christ of all time and allowed him to write two-thirds of the New Testament in volume. What could he do for you if you would let him? I don't believe you had me. So I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> I'm going to ask you again. What could he do for you if you would let him? Get out of his way. Get in the backseat of the limousine. Stop trying to drive. Amen? Be the caboose. Of course, your real problem is the spiritual war being waged against your soul. Galatians 5.17 says this, The flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit sets his desire against the flesh. For these two are in opposition to one another, so that you believers in Christ may not do the things that you please. Look, unbelievers are simple units. Unbelievers do not have this conflict going on inside of them because they don't have God the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Amen? This is the unseen conflict going on inside of every Christian. You have a soul, so imagine that. At the moment of your physical birth, biological life met soul life, which became human life. God imputed soul life to you, and so you became a living being. All right, but from the moment of salvation, you have a human spirit. So you've got the soul, and then separately you've got the human spirit, and since your physical birth, you have had the flesh resident inside of you, which is the house for Adam's original sin. So as soon as you become a believer in Christ, you have this fight going on inside of you between the spirit and the flesh. Well, the flesh is more powerful than you. 
It is antagonistic to everything in your life. It hates you, it hates God, and it is not tameable. But fortunately, you have God the Holy Spirit to do battle with the flesh, and it is hardly an issue who will win the battle. The problem comes when you think you need to help in the, <laughs> in the battle. False teachers using false teaching to get you to engage in a battle you cannot win. It reminds me of the, uh, the sons of Shiva who came up uh, to uh, in a situation where there were a bunch of people indwelled by demons and they were trying to perform exorcism. And so one of the demons pops his head out and he says, hey, I know Paul, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And then the demons attacked the sons of Shiva and led them right off a cliff. Amen? They don't help. Don't help. Okay, you're going to go to the movie theater and you're going to see Linda Blair is back with her spinning head and her green pea soup and you're going to hear all about exorcisms. They didn't work in the Bible and they wouldn't work today for anyone who tried it. So, that's a battle you cannot win. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll continue our verse-by-verse study of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery.
One, two, one, two, one, two. Today's Bible lesson, what do Christians have to do to help God, the Holy Spirit, perfect them? What do Christians have to do to help God, the Holy Spirit, perfect them? Well, Christians are to follow the Lord's example in everything, especially in giving. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, and so... The best time for Christians to give? There must never be a time when we don't give. Everything we have comes from God. When we give, we are simply redirecting the resources God has given us to his purposes. Giving expresses your faith in God. It's a form of worship. You don't worry about the amount you give because in faith, you know God will return it to you abundantly. Let your giving rival God's giving and watch what flows to your life. Give something, give anything, give now, and keep on giving. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Deacon Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be Deacon for Brown Ministries. I'm blessed because at Brown Ministries, we work for the Lord. We work for the Lord by giving the gospel to a lost and dying world. We want the rest of the world to have a spiritual life. It means a relationship with Christ, not a relationship with a collection of crystals, a real spiritual life. So I was thinking as we drive around, as, you know, as it cools off in Phoenix, you start to see a lot more garages open. And I was thinking of seeing the connection between a garage and a spiritual life. You see some garages, and they're very clean. They're spotless. Like, you could probably eat off the floor in there. You see some garages, they're just cluttered. Stuff everywhere. And that's really like a spiritual life with a lot of distractions. It's a cluttered garage. So giving it the offering is a way to transform that garage, transform your spiritual life, and show that you're receptive to God's plan and his purpose. And so it really is a worship. It's a chance to worship for Christ. And I was thinking, you know, the, we've got the garages that are just, Pastor has an immaculate garage. <laughs> He's got a nice garage. My garage is half clean and then half dirty <laughs> with all the kids' stuff. But I think everybody can imagine, you know, a, a life with God is going to be much cleaner. It's going to be much easier and clear. It's going to be clear what, how, what, where you should go and what you should do. 
And to have a clean garage, there's maintenance, there's upkeep. We don't have just a clean garage without working at it every day. In the same way as the spiritual life, you know, it needs to be, we need to reflect Christ every day and show love to others and whosoever, because that's who we are. We know that we're perfectly righteous and that everybody else can be, and it's not our power. And so working for the Lord is something that we need to do. We see it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, ro- the reward of inheritance. Is, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so we serve him, and he gives us power. And we see through, his, through him that our life is amazing, and without him it's going to be hard. It's going to be a cluttered garage. So let's clean out our garages today and give to Broad Ministries and show that we're receptive to God's plan and know that he will, he will give us tenfold of what we give to this church and give to this ministry, supporting the gospel and real spiritual lives around the world. So hit it, Denise. Thank you, Deacon Denny. Great message as usual. Today's Bible lesson, what do Christians have to do to help God, the Holy Spirit, perfect them? What do Christians have to do to help God, the Holy Spirit, perfect them? Welcome back. Let's remind ourselves of the Christian dilemma. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. I, Paul, say, walk by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and you believers in Christ will not know way, not know how, ook, Carry out the desires, that is, the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit sets his desire against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. And this is why you believers in Christ may not do the things you please. Galatians 5.18, but if you believers in Christ, are led by God the Holy Spirit, first class condition, if, if and it's true, and of course you are, you are not no way, not know how, ook, under the Mosaic law. Well, we left off at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit sets his desire against the flesh, 
for these are in opposition to one another, and this is why you believers in Christ may not do the things you please. If you have ever taken martial arts, you know you will often be asked to spar with your instructor. The problem? Your instructor, by necessity, is way better than you. And a great instructor's goal is to dominate you, to put you in submission, to show you how inferior you are, to make you tap out so that you are motivated to improve or you're motivated to quit. That's the Christian dilemma. The flesh wants you to abandon the Christian way of living. The flesh wants to dominate you. The flesh wants to put you in submission to its rebellion. The flesh wants you to tap out of your Christian life, sit on the sidelines, and be completely ineffective in Christianity. God the Holy Spirit wants to improve you. From the moment you became a believer in Christ, you were made into a new creation by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. The old man things passed away. They died. So you are not someone who was born in the old man, and then God came in and cleaned up that old man. What he did is he killed the old man, and then he came back and made you a completely new creation, and you are changed forever through no fault of your own, through no power of your own. Back to the verse. There is a new creation. The old man things passed away, they died. Behold, the new creation things have come. Once we are believers in Christ, we want to do the right thing. But we fall short again and again and again. And it can be quite discouraging. We get disappointed with ourselves. God's never disappointed with us, but we get disappointed with ourselves. Now, one of the best believers of all time, the Apostle Paul, explains his Christian dilemma. And this is a great place to go if you ever forget that you can't do it. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 25. It says this, For what I, Paul, am doing in the outer game of my life, the game that everyone sees, I do not understand. For I am not practicing in my outer game what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate to do. I'm not living the real inner game of the spiritual life, the spiritual inner game. What is, which is that which I want to do so, so as to reflect it outwardly. Romans seven sixteen, But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, and of course I do, I agree with the Mosaic Law, confessing that the Mosaic Law is good. And it is. It's holy. It's righteous. It's from God. And it is crystal clear. There is nothing wrong with God's laws. Romans 7, 17. So now my insight is, because of all my consistent failures, that no longer am I, Paul, the one doing the sinning, but the flesh indwelling me is doing the sinning. Now, Paul is not abdicating responsibility. He's not saying, I'm not accountable. He's becoming aware of his dependence on God the Holy Spirit to do the work. Romans 7, 18. For I, Paul, know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
for the willingness to do good, the wish to do good, is present in me. Why? Through the Spirit. We have the indwelling God, the Holy Spirit, which is always impelling us to do the right things. So the, so the wish to do good is present in me, but the actual doing of the good is not present in me. Why? Because we listen to the flesh, and we do what the dead thing says. Why would you listen to a dead person? Romans chapter 7, verse 19. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I don't want to do, Romans seven twenty, I am no longer the one doing it, but the flesh which indwells me is doing it. Romans seven twenty one. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Romans 7.22 For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, in the human spirit, in the mind, that's been controlled by the Holy Spirit. Romans 7.23 But I see a different law in the members of my body, in the flesh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my flesh. And Paul expresses his frustration deeply. And from the guttural bowels of his belly, he lets out his barbaric yelp. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from the body of this death? Well, Romans 7.25 makes it clear. Thanks be to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord, who delivered us from the body of death through his work on the cross. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, I am serving the law of sin. Now, no chapter breaks in the original languages of Scripture, so what? where does Romans 7.25 go right after that with no chapter break? Therefore, all these things that I've said in Romans 7.15 to 25 being the case, there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. Amen? All right, now following God and letting Him do the work in your Christian life is easy according to God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, the Lord says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke? It's a, it's a device where two can get in it to pull in a direction. And it's typically used for animals, two oxen, for example, pulling a plow. But in the spiritual life, it's the Lord and us in the yoke. And the Lord says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he's doing all the work. Freedom is a yoke, but so is slavery. As a new creation, Christians want to please God. The old self that has died, the flesh, doesn't want to please God, will never please God, hates God, is antagonistic to Him, has enmity toward God. God the Holy Spirit helps Christians do impossible things the flesh does not want us to do, like overlooking mistreatment and offenses, not holding grudges, having lust-free days, making things about others instead of making things about ourselves. Amen? Amen. People are always telling me that. Rory, it's not about you. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Now, when you think you...
Sorry about that. My microphone battery died. So back to just after uh, Matthew 11:30. Freedom is a yoke, but so is slavery. And as a new creation, Christians want to please God. The old self that has died, the flesh doesn't want to please God at all. Well, God, the Holy Spirit helps Christians do the impossible things the flesh doesn't want us to do like overlooking mistreatment and offenses, not holding grudges, having lust-free days, making things about others instead of about self. Now, when you think you can do these things yourself in your own power and you don't over and over and over again, you ought to realize that God can do these things when you can't or when you won't. And look, there are some things we don't want to do, honestly. Sometimes when people mistreat us, we don't want to overlook it. We don't want to forgive. But there is a part of us, the Spirit, that is propelled by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that does want to do it. Now, the flesh inside of us is the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, sarx, and it refers to meat in the marketplace. It's a metaphor for the nature of man, which is animal-like and sinful and rebellious. Ishmael, the son of Abraham, who was an unbeliever, was described in the Bible as a wild donkey of a man, led by animal promptings and passions without moral consideration. So what does that mean? You can always know what an unbeliever is going to do. What an unbeliever is going to do if you hurt them is they're going to hurt you back. They're transactional. They're not relationship-oriented. You're good with them as long as you don't make any mistakes. Now, people who allow themselves to be led by the flesh, and that's unbelievers, or believers who have gone off the rails and fallen from grace, cannot differentiate between prompt and passion. They get a stimulus, and they feel they have to respond, and that response is always going to be the wrong response. They simply react without thinking. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. But if you believers in Christ are led by God the Holy Spirit, and of course you are. You are not no way, not know how, ook, under the direction of the Mosaic Law. You are not going to follow the Mosaic Law and be saved. You are not going to be able to keep the 613 tenets of the Mosaic Law. You won't even remember the 613 tenets of the Mosaic Law. There is no power to save you in the Mosaic Law. Now, if you're led by God the Holy Spirit, you are not foolish enough to think that you can keep every one of the 613 rules that are part of the Mosaic Law. And when you realize your complete incompetence at keeping the Mosaic Law, you would do well to depend on God, the Holy Spirit, to do the perfecting for you. You can take a religious approach to Christianity, legalism, attempting to follow rituals and rules without ever being successful, living in a powerless, dead religion, that has no ability to help you at all. Or you can take a spiritual approach to your Christian life and count on a relationship instead of a religion, a relationship with God instead of counting on following rules. You can't merit your own salvation, nor do you have the discipline to impress God with your works. So why bother? The Lord's plan for you And his love for you sets you free from this nonsense with a relationship. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, if we believers in Christ fear anything, and we're not to fear because fear is a sin, 
Let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, if while a promise remains of us hooking our caboose to the locomotive, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. We come short of it when we think that we're going to be able to power the caboose. We come short of it when we want to use the hand car. Well, that's never going to work for you, and it sure is going to make you tired. The Lord is calling you believers in Christ to freedom. Will you come? June, June Murphy has got her hand above her head right now because that's one of her songs. We're calling you to freedom. Will you come? She's waving back and forth. Will you walk by means of the power of the locomotive, God the Holy Spirit? Will you realize that he is, he and he, only he, can keep you from carrying out the desires of the flesh? Will you simply be the caboose and let God the Holy Spirit provide the power for your life? Or do you want to follow the lying false teachers and their false teaching and use human power for your life? Do you want to figure everything out for yourself? Or would you rather keep on investing your faith in God knowing he has your best interests in mind? The last three to five years of my life, have been all about God teaching me how to be weak. And when God has been teaching me how to be weak, he's been teaching me how to be dependent. And I've been dependent on people, and I've been dependent on him. And what I've gotten to see is he comes through every single time. And this last year, from a health perspective, has just been brutal because doing all of that by myself was quite impossible. And it's really good to have people in your life who are willing to help you and willing to work with you and for you until you get to the other side. I see a light at the end of the tunnel, and I just hope it's not a locomotive. Amen? <laughs> now, unfortunately, most Christians are completely duped. Don't be one of them. We'll continue our study of this passage in the next lesson. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the 10 most important minutes of your life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. God gave you an amazing gift from the moment of birth, volition, the ability to choose. You have the power of free will, the power of choice. You can make your own decisions. Freedom, what a concept. What do you choose to believe about God? There are many beliefs about God. A belief is an opinion, a conviction, or a confidence in the existence of something that does not seem provable. Yet everything with God is provable. There's no need for blind faith in God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings, which means he reveals himself in ways that make sense to you. And if he didn't, what kind of God would he be? What would make him worthy of our worship? Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through that which has been made in the entire created universe, that all mankind, especially unbelievers, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Deacon Denny, when you were talking about the crystals, I was thinking about Sedona out here in Arizona and how people flock there and, and 
pretend that these negative ions that are coming off a mountain are good enough to save them. Satan, the enemy of God, prefers that we have beliefs. He knows there is a big difference between beliefs and the truth. And only when our beliefs and the truth are the same are our beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. Why? Because he can't handle the truth. Do you choose to believe Satan, or do you choose what God says is true? What many people believe is that they can impress God so much he will let them into heaven because of good deeds and religious practices. They give money to beggars. They give food to the homeless. They give back to the community. Yet none of these good deeds, while admirable, are good enough to get them into heaven. The Bible, God's manual for your life, tells a completely different story about your works. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, believers in Christ, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, not giving us the wrath of God that sins deserve, which means the lake of fire, by the washing of regeneration and through renewing by God the Holy Spirit. The Bible directs all mankind to let God do the saving. You would never want to put the burden of your salvation on your own back. Your good deeds won't get you into heaven, but God's plan can. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God and the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The apostle Paul describes Jesus, the amazing Jewish Messiah, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what made Jesus different than every so-called spiritual person. He was raised from the dead. Now, when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, these are much more than beliefs. It's the absolute truth. So how do you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven. And with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, also resulting in salvation. It's wise to let God save you, because once God does something, it can't be undone, because God never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, though, has consequences. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42 say this, 
So just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age, Matthew 13, 41. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, that's unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, that's unbelievers, Matthew 13, 42. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Make the most important choice of your life. Do what is suggested in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 17. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through Him. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. So why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work on the cross give back to you. Well, let's close with music. God is never disappointed with his creatures. He loves us unconditionally despite our decision not to depend on him too heavily. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, we believers in Christ are God the Father's workmanship, created to be in union with Christ Jesus for good works, which good works God the Father prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Here's June Murphy to express this lack of disappointment our God has toward his creatures in her song, I Can't Disappoint You.
so when you're beating yourself up, just realize you may be disappointed in yourself, but God is not disappointed in you. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for helping us to see how futile it is to propel our lives in our own power. Help us take the easy way out by counting on you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Uh, No biblical discussion in prayer circle today. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor, pastor at barahministries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.